I'm Joe. Nice to meet you, brother. I love watching you grow up. He's pulling down his pants. Put up your pants, my man. Touchdown! Is this the And Fernando Tatis Jr. A grand slam. Iguodala. It's funny to hear female talk about routes like. It's funny. Hello and welcome to From the Backseat. Clark and I are back from about a week break and I couldn't be happier. Clark, how are you doing? Doing great, you know, just a nice little rest, recharge bit there for a little second, you know, but so stoked to get back into today's topics, roll right into things and get this ball going again. I know we got a lot to cover. I mean, preseason has been going wild and hot takes have just been thrown out there. I know. Apparently now after one really good game for uh, that backup Ravens tight end, likely, Jordan likely, everyone's like going to draft him in fantasy now. So it's overreaction season as we've been talking about in the NFL. But it's the fun part of it too. Who doesn't love that? I mean, you got to enjoy it. I mean, NFL preseason, what's more exciting than watching your third string players just do nothing? Do nothing. It's actually, you know, it would be really entertaining if you were – an Arizona Cardinals fan and you had to watch Kyler Murray call game, call plays on the sideline. That's an extraordinary thing to me. I yeah. galaxy brain franchise. What is that? Why is Kyler Murray calling plays? So from my understanding, the story that came out is that Cliff Kingsbury and him had a discussion where he basically told him like, Hey man, this shit's hard. And so to make sure that he understood that and like, I guess probably got better at knowing the offense. He now lets him call plays in the preseason after a certain point. Yeah, but Cliff sucks at calling plays himself, so shouldn't he get practice at it? Well, Cliff's good at calling plays for, like, one half of the season, and then he forgets that he has to make new plays, I think, and then the Cardinals start to poop their pants and it goes south. But, yes, you have a good point. I think Cliff could definitely use some more time there on the coaching end and calling plays. But I guess he's delegating it to Kyler. I don't know. Stupid. They're actually – the Cardinals are becoming more and more one of the more bizarre franchises out there. Well, they're just like a meme franchise at this point. Like every dumb idea a guy has had in Madden, the Cardinals do. Ah, uh, yeah. But what are you going to do? They're entertaining at least. So if you're a Cardinals fan, at least they're weirdly fun to watch. Have you been watching any preseason games? Have you checked in on um, any of them? You know, I mean, I've, I've tuned in a little bit. I'll be honest. I've watched very minimal of any of the Bengals players. Um, Again, the guys that I'm really only paying attention for on them. Um, obviously, the offensive line for depth for Cincinnati. But at the same time, Keeping eyes on guys like Dax Hill, Connor Volson, the left guard position, you know, just kind of figure out battles there. But truth be told, I think uh, I'm a main proprietor of someone who really doesn't care that much about the preseason. So my eye has not been glued to it as much as maybe some. I've actually gone to two preseason games, which yeah. I feel like would be, uh, it's not really what I would like to do, but I mean, I've been there. The I got to do. Yeah. I mean, it's fun, I guess. I mean, my issue is you watch people in the stands and maybe it's because I have season tickets. So it's a little bit different. Like I'm going to go and watch eight other games, but Mm -hmm. just watching people lose their mind over preseason football, like just yelling and screaming and trying to talk trash at you is like, it just feels so sad. It's like, come on. Like who was it? It was last season. Last season there was a fight. So five between like Rams fans and other, I forget who it was, but there was a big one that broke out. And it's like, you're fighting in a preseason game. Time to reconsider multiple things going on in your life. There's no need for that. Speaking of fighting, did you see last night on uh, one, on one of our Raiders videos, some Raiders fans started threatening me. 
what's new. That's their favorite thing to do. That's just that's what they do when they get insecure and they know that they can't actually, you know, val- validate a lot of the stuff. Sometimes they put in their arguments. Not saying this is all Raiders fans, but they like to go to that, I guess. Silly, silly, silly. No need yeah, for that- it. It was the video of uh, like I'd be in prison if if I like couldn't start whatever like talk trash to Raiders fans. And the guy just is like, oh, like just come talk trash at the stadium. And I was like, I was at week eighteen, like I was there doing that. He's like, oh, if I was there, I would have like took the lights out of you. You got lucky the Raiders won. And I'm like, oh sure, dude, yeah, big up. Just I'm sure you would have just gone out there and openly assaulted someone and got some sweet jail time for yeah just because someone liked the opposing team seems like a very in between the years guy a lot going on there yeah well so let's get into our show today and let's start off with our sponsor of the show which is manscape so if you haven't heard about manscape yet if this is your first time support for our podcast from the backseat comes to you from manscape which is by far the best men's below the waist grooming their products are precision engineers for your family jewels Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate male hygiene bundle. Over 6 million men worldwide who already trust Manscaped, and we actually have an exclusive offer for you, which is 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code BACKSEAT. Not from the backseat, just BACKSEAT at manscaped.com. So make sure you redeem our offer and get 20% 20 off with free shipping. What you'll get with that is the performance package 4.0, which is an absolute game changer. What it's able to do is just absolutely get rid of all the hair where you don't want it. It's super easy, super easy to learn. The trimmer is waterproof, so you can say goodbye to any mess on your bathroom floor. You're able to get in there, get out very easily. Plus, it comes with a nose hair trimmer and an ear hair trimmer if you need to get rid of that kind of stuff, and that's called the Weed Whacker. So Manscaped is even throwing in two extra gifts into the performance package, which is the boxers and a travel bag, so you can bring everything you need when you're on the go, plus when you're at home. So make sure to take care of yourself and go to manscaped.com. You get 20% off with free shipping with the code BACKSEAT. And seriously, folks, I know that things, you know, just a throw-in gift to the travel bag. As someone who just very recently used a travel bag, high-quality stuff right there. You won't find a better storage space. And this is we're talking about just a throw-in with that product. That is just, just for you as a little nice edge from Manscaped. All their stuff is top of the line. You can use it on any hair, anywhere. You won't get nicked. You won't get hit. You'll be all good, sleek, clean, no matter what you want. Manscaped is the way to go, folks. Make sure you tap yourselves into the performance package. Plus, uh, if you're one of those various Charger fans who has found us because of me live-tweeting the preseason game or just all of the TikTok videos of me just adding Raiders fans, they're a San Diego-based business, so make sure to go support Southern California and support those, even though the Chargers left, that doesn't mean the San Diego spirit left with us. So make sure to go check out Manscaped. So Do it, folks. We are going to get into today's show, and we're starting off with She's a 10. So we're starting off with an absolute runner, and this is a fan-written She's a 10. So now the series has gotten so big that fans have started writing in the comments of other She's a 10 for us to do some. So this is a fan-written one, and this was under the she's a 10, but she thought that the Chargers should have stayed at San Diego, and we could call this a sequel. It's she's a 10, but she thinks the Raiders should have never left Oakland. God, so here's the thing. I will tell you this right now. As someone who lived in the Bay Area when I went to college at Sonoma State University. He did air quotes, by the way. 
air quotes live because i was in roner park it's not really sonoma county's not bay bay area like some people might associate it with such as hayward san francisco other areas are more closely surrounding to the water so i will say this um that to me is a 10 if you think that i think while the raiders made a financially smart decision probably to go to las vegas and I don't even know if it was that really that big of a decision. Obviously, it's a great facility they have over there, and the fans will travel and look at sold out every single time. The notoriety has probably increased, maybe even just a little bit. But here's the thing, folks. O- Oakland fans are so good. Like, they are, for whatever you may think, and anyway, they are some of the most loyal group. I think Oakland is being pride. We talked about this with the A's. They're getting pride of their franchises. They do not deserve that. They had the Warriors leave to go to San Francisco across the bay. That's cruel. The A's are about to leave. That's cruel. The Raiders really should have stayed. If she thinks that, she's a 10. Keep it in there. Love that. She's a 10. I totally agree. I mean, the Raiders as a team just fit Oakland so much more than Vegas. Raiders fans try to act so tough now that they're – but Vegas is not like a tough town. It's not not like Oakland. I mean, they don't have the same kind of spirits that they had up there. Well, I think like for Oakland – and for Los Angeles at the same time, the the identity of the team, it, it really fit with everything. I think the Oakland idea, you know, again, I think Oakland's, you know, it's a hardworking town. The Raiders kind of embodied that blue-collar way with the team that they were. Tough team, tough fans. I think it worked really well in Oakland. It was a bummer to see them go. But, again, when you're playing, like, four of your games with a baseball diamond still in there and you can go to a multi-billion dollar stadium and have it be your own, it's tough to beat. But I really would like to see them stay in Oakland. Totally agree. All right, next one. She's a 10, but she wants to be proposed to at a pro sports game. Oh, God. So, you know, it's tough. I was actually, again, when I was back up in the back up in the Bay this past weekend to uh, visit my girlfriend, uh, there was someone who got proposed to at an A's game. I immediately texted my buddy that I was at, and I said, imagine getting proposed to at Odako Coliseum. <laughs> that would be the worst thing in the world. I actually think it's Ring Center Stadium now, Ring Center. I mean, I get it if it has some sort of, uh, you know, situational awareness. That did you guys meet there? Sure. But if she wants to, I guess if she wants to, what does it really matter? It's not going to get knocked off that much for me, like eight or nine. I mean, I personally would not want to propose to someone at a baseball event. I think it's really public. I feel like a proposal sometimes should be a really private thing between the two of you. But it's a woman's choice. Of course, she wanted to. It's a fun idea. I'm not going to knock it. However, um, if the girl's like, please propose me at Ring Center Stadium or AKA the Oakland Coliseum, I'd be like, well, no, because that's gross. And we could get some sort of gross stain on her when I need out. Like, you know, just it's an eight or nine. Um, but again, just a little bit too public for me. Just a little bit too public. I would think it's a private thing that you would want. Not a whole 30,000 drunk fans standing around you cheering. But who knows? Her moment, she gets to say her choice. Do what she well, wants, fellas. So next is another fan submitted one, and this is a little bit out of what we usually talk about. Mm-hmm. She's a ten, but she's a Michigan fan. She, that's just an easy ten. She's a Michigan fan. Yeah, it's an easy ten. I would, if she was an Ohio State fan, we have a whole different problem. She'd be a straight up mm, goose egg if she was an Ohio State fan. But if she's a Michigan fan, oh yeah. As someone who lived in Michigan and enjoys Michigan football a little bit himself, Um, enjoyed the Denard Robinson days. I know Rich Rodriguez was there when I was there. 
not good times. They got beat by App State when I was there. But if she's a Michigan fan, she's a 10. It's pretty simple. She was an Ohio State fan, which I think this person was looking for to be the opposite way. If she was an Ohio State fan, zero. If she was a Michigan fan, 10 every time. It's funny you think that because they weren't a Michi- they weren't an Ohio State fan. They were a Michigan State fan. Oh, Michigan State here. I'll say this about Michigan State. Um, I really like Michigan State too, but Michigan State, you guys are like 2A rival to Michigan. It's always Michigan and Ohio State. Michigan State is like the third person at the table. They always want to have that bark. And they're a really good football program, but um, I think every Michigan fan would tell you the rival is Ohio State and not you guys. But I like Michigan State too. I have a Michigan State jacket. East Lansing is a cool town. But if she's a Michigan fan, she's a 10. It's pretty straight up. So, All right, last one. She's a 10, but she's a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Oh, gross. Oh. I mean, people look, I shouldn't say that. That's, I'm joking. Um, She's a St. Louis Cardinals fan. I mean, she worships Yadier Molina. She, you know, thinks that like, oh, well, we're just the smartest franchise of sports fans or ever has been or ever will be, which is just tomfoolery. I hate that stereotype anytime you watch the Cardinals play. It's this assumption of like, oh, Cardinals fans have just such high IQs, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, no, no, no. So she's a baseball fan. That's truthfully what matters. But she's a Cardinals fan. That hurts for several reasons. Um, I'll say seven. It's tough. We could talk baseball. We could go to games. But she's a Cardinals fan. Seven. All right. So let's move into our one start bench cut of the day. Let's get it. So start bench cut, Malik Willis, Kellen Maude, or Jordan Love? Oh, man. You know, um, Colin Cowherd went out here and just ripped Jordan Love a new bunghole the other day. Uh, He was, like, calling him, like, one of the biggest draft busts the last 20 years. I actually thought while he has thrown interceptions in the preseason, um, he's flashed ability. I think some growth, too. Um Kellen Mond has had a nice preseason, but truth be told, the Vikings just traded for Nick Mullins, so does it really tell you how much confidence they have in him? And then the last guy, Malik Willis, I certainly have a lot of intrigue with. Um, I think the guy I would start, because I think he has the highest ceiling of all of them still, is Jordan Love. I know it's been ugly in the time that he started against Kansas City and the other action that he's had, but I think the growth is there. I think the talent's there. So I'd start Jordan Love. Uh, I bench Malik Willis. I really like Malik Willis, but again, um, big flash plays in there. I know it's preseason. He makes he has a lot of impressive skill around him. Um, and then Kellen Mond, like I like Kellen Mond, but I don't really ever see Kellen Mond being a projected starter really at any point in his career. I think he's been nice, but he's a third round pick. I know Malik Willis was too, but I see Malik Willis having much more upside than I see Kellen Mond having. So my start would be Jordan Love. My bench would be Malik Willis, and my cut would be Kellen Mond. Also, because Kellen Mond's a Texas A&M Aggie, and that's just not okay. <laughs> well, uh, I guess we got through that. Uh, I just picked out three people who are having a big preseason so far. I mean, yeah, people there's are... people. Yeah, like when I saw Colin Cower getting all up about Jordan Love, I was like, I would say almost the opposite. I feel like he's actually up his stock a little bit more than what we were at probably going into the season. Well, the reason I would never call Love a bust, first of all, because I think he was picked too late in the first round. Yes. I mean, he was a late first round pick. And, like, I think he would be fine if he was in any other situation. The problem is he just got drafted into the worst spot possible. Well, see, that's the thing for me, too, is that I think if things had played out as people originally thought and Rodgers would have left or retired, 
and you'd see Love get more opportunity, I think narrative could be a little bit different. But ultimately, it's become a situation where he's just not of any use. And so he's just going to sit there. And then second to your part, too, he is a later first-round pick. Like, people, if you're later in the first round, I feel like the bus status goes down considerably. Like, Johnny Manziel was terrible for the Cleveland Browns. I don't think he ever gets brought up in one of the biggest bus conversations of all time. That later first-round billing usually does save you some guys' cases. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think Love's really in that scenario where he's looking like one of the biggest draft buffs of recent history. No, I don't think so either. All right, so let's move into our hot takes of the day. So let's this week, it. I go first on hot takes, and I've come with my Super Bowl prediction. Just oh, no. one team. Oh, I'm only no. I'm only coming with one team. Oh, God. Uh, and I'm sticking to the NFC. So my hot take of the year, and this is, now maybe this is me buying into some preseason hype. Maybe this is me feeling it, and I just really like this team. But my hot take of the week is I think the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. I I mean, when you look at it, I love Brandon Ayuk, and he was barely used last year. Debo Samuel is just going to be just as good, if not elevate his play even more. Trey Lance... I like Trey Lance a lot. I mean, we haven't seen a lot. I mean, outside of the preseason, we haven't really seen anything. But if Jimmy Garoppolo can get them to the NFC Championship game, I feel like plugging in an RPO merchant into that offense is going to work really, really well. Their run game is one of the best in the league. Kyle Shanahan is one of the best play designers in the league. Plus, their defense is just as elite as it was last year. The only major piece they lost was DJ Jones. But then they went and added stuff to their secondary. Um... When I just stack it up, I just really like the 49ers. Now, the Rams, we don't know the health of Matthew Stafford, so that's a huge question mark. So that could leave... If Matthew Stafford misses any time at the beginning of the year, that's going to open the 49ers' door to win some games early on and maybe get a hold of that division. Plus, the Packers obviously lost a lot of ammo. I mean, their defense is incredibly good, but that offense might not be able to put up the points to sustain, especially come playoff time. The Buccaneers have already lost big pieces on the offensive line, which I think once we get again to playoff time is going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. Now, there could be big injuries on the San Francisco 49ers. Things could fall apart. But when I look at it from a complete roster standpoint, they're sitting at the top. They're a really talented team, just made it to an NFC Championship game. I just really like them. I think their coach is a top five coach in the league. Trey Lance, they spent three first-round picks on, so hopefully he'll be what what they think he is. I liked him in his limited play last year. I actually thought they shouldn't go back to Jimmy G. I didn't really understand why they made that move. I thought Lance provided so much more for that offense. Mm-hmm. Plus, I love the combo of Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk on offense. Plus, I haven't even talked about George Kittle. They still have George Kittle, and if you get George Kittle healthy for at least 10 games this year and into the playoffs, that's such a threatening offense. So for me, my hot take is the San Francisco 49ers are going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. You know, uh, I I like it. Um, I still think there are things with Trey Lance that I do need to see. Um, While the system, I think, will no doubtably be in place for him to succeed, uh, the kid in his limited time playing was not particularly great last year. Um, The one thing I will say I really like about him the most from what you see when you turn on the game film is that while he doesn't sometimes take the easy throws, what I love about him is his anticipation to try to make bigger plays and take more risks, which I think they lacked when they had Jimmy Garoppolo. While he did, people wanted him to just play his role. 
Yep. Uh, Lance gives you so much more. Um, I think if Trey Lance fills out to what his full potential would be, he's an easily a top 10 quarterback and a guy who you could say talent-wise fits in somewhere in the top six, top five, even maybe in terms of his overall ability. So I get following all the 49ers. There's a ton to fall in love with. Um, it's just hard for me because the biggest question mark that currently sits on their team is the most important position that you find on your team, which is your quarterback. But that being said, if he plays well, you're probably right because they went to the NFC championship game and really probably should have gone to the Super Bowl if not for an unfortunate drop by what was it, Jaquiski Tart? Yeah. That probably would have ended the game. Um a lot of people forget about. Um yeah, I think it's I think it's a fine idea. I think it's a, a presumable thing to do. So. Yeah, just when I just when I stack it up, they're in the NFC Championship last game. Somewhere they probably shouldn't have been, but they always seem to find themselves winning, unless if they have an injury at the quarterback position. So it, it's hard for me. I, and and this is a hot take that went really bad for me last year. Early last year, obviously before the podcast, after like week five, I thought the Niners should have fired Kyle Shanahan, and mm-hmm. I was one of those people. So I mean, Kyle Shanahan just showed me up. He has some of the most creative play designs in the league. He gets production out of just any random running back that strolls into the building. Yeah, the running back is just a system that I think they've just figured out. It doesn't truly matter. They want a guy who's a pass catcher out of there, it certainly seems like. Like, one really bad pick that they had that no one really talks about, Trey Sermon yeah. from Ohio State. Now, he's useless now. But, you know, it really doesn't matter who they have in the backfield. They've worked it out either way. They're just a good team, and they have good player development. All around the field. I mean, they have a really good offensive line. They still have Trent Williams. Elijah Mitchell showed a lot out of coming out of the backfield last year. The big, honestly, the only question mark really on the team is their quarterback. And a Mm -hmm. lot of people would have considered Jimmy G uh, like a fringe quarterback anyway. So unless if Trey Lance is really bad, I feel like it's almost an upgrade just from the athleticism that Trey Lance brings that Jimmy G can't. No, I, I agree. And I've been a guy who stood on the, the idea of, and I think you would probably stand on the same idea, that with Lance, they probably should have just gone with him last year. I don't know if they yeah. would have done as well, but truth be told, the ceiling that he brings and what he could possibly provide was always way farther and larger than Jimmy Garoppolo's. Plus, when you use a third-round pick on a guy like that, you, you do have to find out what you have. You have For to sure. know. So that's my thing. But I think uh, I like the idea. I think it's certainly conceivable. I'm not going to sit here and act like it's not because I think the 49ers will be a very good team again this year um but yeah we'll see how it goes we'll see all right so what's your hot take of the week um you know again we're folks we're one way one one more week away maybe two weeks away from my really searing hot one that i promised right before week one of the nfl season but until we get to that point while ethan is connected to the nfl i'll be taking us back to major league baseball um i think i'm making this uh hot take a little bit more with my heart than i am with my head right now but uh, i i have fallen in love with the uh, team that resides in the East Coast that wears orange and black. Um, I think the Baltimore Orioles are going to sneak in and get the last playoff spot. Wow. I think the Baltimore Orioles, in a lot of ways, currently remind me of a 2015 Astros team that was a year earlier than expected with the pieces they had. Um, And they went to the playoffs. They ended up losing to the Royals, but they beat the Yankees in the wild card game. I think when I look at the Orioles, there is an element of this team that is playing with house money. Everyone knows they shouldn't be here right now. Heck, they sold the deadline with Mancini and other guys. But somehow through all of this, they have still figured a way to be two games back. Um, 
I think another part of this to me, and I know this is going to be mean to one of our nicest listeners that we have, Leland, um, I don't believe in the Mariners. The Mariners are going to choke somewhere along the way, unfortunately. Uh, they have done it for the better part of 20 years now. Um, I feel like if things really stay this close down to the end of the stretch, while I love the atmosphere that Seattle has built, and I really want to see them go, and they could still sneak in, and maybe I'm wrong about this, and they get the five spot. Um I think if Baltimore can keep this in close, I know they'll have some hard games down the stretch against Toronto, and I know they'll have some against Houston. It's not like it's the easiest road in the world, and they are underdogs. But what I see from Baltimore and the tenacity they have in terms of just pure talent, um, they could even take a shot and bring up some younger guys like Gunnar Henderson and stuff if they really wanted to just to push to see things go. Um, I think right now off fan graphs, they have about 6% chance to make the playoffs, if that, which is really low. But I think it's underselling them, but I know this is because of the schedule they have ahead. But I think there's a shot. I think there's going to be some sort of O's magic that gets going here, and they figure out a way to get that last wild card spot. I think it would probably get bounced immediately. But um, I think realistically, if you're a baseball fan, I would love to see the Orioles in, and they're a team that has a very good shot at being a very real threat in the American League for a very long amount of time if they can keep this nucleus together. And if their ownership groups decide to actually spend money on these talent they've successfully scouted and acquired in the draft. And also go out there and spend money on free agents because you need to do that too. But hot take, a little bit convoluted again, more with my heart than it is with my head. Baltimore Orioles find a way in there two and a half games back. Shout out to the uh, hero of last night's elite classic game, Jorge Mateo, former Padre, coming in clutch. Like to see it. I mean, it's they're they're a Cinderella story right now. They're the team of destiny. It feels like. I mean, they sold at the deadline and have been yeah. better since the deadline. I, I know mean, it's wild, and I I think the thing is too is that you know they're they're beating quality teams. They're not just you know beating up on dumpsters, which you have to do to get to the playoffs, regardless. But they've beaten games against Toronto. They've beaten Tampa Bay. They've gone toe to toe. I know Tampa Bay's banged up this year for sure, but. You know, this isn't your Orioles the last five years where it doesn't even look like they know how to play baseball year around. They know what they're doing. I know the pitching's probably lacking a little bit still there, too. They don't really have a frontline guy, truth be told. But when you have a team that's playing with house money like this and you have a team that's so young that doesn't know they're not supposed to be there in this point and they're just early, it does create a sense of danger and what they are. And I think the Orioles might have that right now. And to your point, it's a little bit of uh, magic, the Cinderella-ness to it. Well, the, the other thing about the American league right now is there are a lot of teams all around the low 60 win total. Yeah. Like the Orioles are in the middle of about like five teams and one of them is going to break out at some point. Mm-hmm. And it stands to reason that the Orioles can easily do it. Cause they're one of the hottest teams right now. I mean, the blue Jays, they're only two games back from the Blue Jays, which they can make up in their own series. The Twins and White Sox have not been able to just burst out, even though no. they probably should. I mean, Tony Larusa continues to do stupid things. He he intentionally walked another batter with two strikes. Exactly. What so, is I he mean, doing? I don't know. I, I just think like the White Sox to me. I know people are like, oh, just like the waits for the White Sox to catch. Truth be told, the only there's only been one team that comes out of the American League Central, and it's whoever wins the division. Um, yes. Elsewhere, where I look. Um, you know, the Astros will win. The Mariners currently have an 88% chance to make the playoffs, according to fan graphs. I don't know, man. I really love the Mariners. I love the baseball culture there, but there is something to be said about they have this sort of snake bitness to them. So 
but they do have an easier skit. Like that's the thing I will say for Baltimore that of the teams, like outside of obviously the Jays and the Rays, they have a really difficult schedule compared to a team like Seattle because Seattle I will mean, play some serious clunkers. The other thing is right now, I mean, record wise, it might look bad, but it depends on how many games they play against the Yankees because the Yankees have been a disaster since the trade. The Yankees line. have been the Yankees have been a disaster and they stay a disaster. I almost went with something else. I've been hot about them if, with the way that they're playing. They look like they will be a first round bounce. The Yankees do not look good right now. No, like they Aaron really Boone. I mean, I I don't know what happened, what got in the water there. I mean, there's, I understand having a slow stretch. I mean, after how much success that they had, but it's morphed into something far more than that, where there's just this sense of confusion. And I thought, you know, people are like, oh, the Donaldson Grand Slam they had for a walk-off, we'll get them back on track. It stayed very stagnant. Well, you know what it feels like? You remember last year, or maybe it was two years ago, where the Padres had begun like collapsing, and then they had that one crazy comeback where they came back against the Nationals and scored like. Six well, that was before runs. that was before the collapse, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like you know, just one of those things where it feels like a spark, but then it yeah. doesn't formulate into an actual fire. It just didn't so, go anywhere. Like I, I don't mean, know. Like I mean, it, it's just odd. I wouldn't expect it from them. I certainly didn't expect it for how it is because of the staff that they had going into the season and the pure talent they have offensively, but. For whatever reason, it's like uh, it's just melting down, and they seem to have no answer for it. Aaron Boone's job is certainly gone if they miss. I mean, not, they're going to make the playoffs, but if they have some sort of egg laying scenario, um, they're in trouble. Yeah, they're in trouble. They got to figure something out fast. Yeah. All right, so let's move into our next section, which is usually a guest segment, but we haven't been on for a little bit. So I thought, since we're getting into the NFL season, that we would do Mythbusters. Since we already did it with my team, technically with Mike, yes. I, have nothing, I have no myths to us. So we're going to do it with Clark and his Cincinnati Bengals. Yes. So I have, four, I, have four, but I have four myths that I have written down about the Cincinnati Bengals that I usually see around Twitter that Clark is going to have to respond to and either bust the myth or say, hey, that, that's actually a real thing. Are you ready, Clark? I am ready. First one, Joe Burrow is not a top 10 quarterback because of his weapons. Wait, so you're saying uh, the question is the weapons assist him basically in becoming to elevate him too much. So if you took him away, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't be top 10. Yep. Yeah, see, to me, that's false. I mean, I, I think it's just a convenient thing. I think people sometimes way overvalue the weapons. Yes. Is he very, is it helpful that he has T. Higgins and Jamar Chase? Of course. But I still think when you look at what Joe Burrow is, what his capability is, I still think he would be a top 10 quarterback if you took away jamar chase or if you took away t higgins or you just replaced him with guys who are a little bit worse certainly jamar chase was a big asset in transforming one of the worst deep shot teams into one of the best if not the best deep shot team in 2021 but i just think that in chase is more while it is a help from him it's a progression of burrow being healthier um with zach taylor being more comfortable on offense with everyone kind of just finding a step a little bit more but it does help to have good weapons but burrow would still be a top 10 quarterback regardless, I believe, of the talent outside. Unless it was just undrafted guys, then in that case it might be a little bit tough But for a year two guy. But no, that's a myth. All right, next up. The Bengals' defense was the only reason that they made a Super Bowl run. No, I think I just I think it's funny. I really do think that one's funny. Um, just because I feel like for a lot of the season, a lot of people said like, oh, the, like no one talks about the Bengals' defense. Who, whoever brought up the Bengals' defense is one of the best ones in football. 
at any point during that season. I always thought the Bengals had an underrated defensive unit. I think they certainly showed it in the playoffs. Um, the last time I checked, well, the defense does make plays. Someone actually has to get them to position to score uh, when things happen. Um, or I know people say the same thing. Oh, Evan McPherson's the reason they wanted it. He was more valuable than Joe Burrow. I mean, that's, that's just ridiculous. I think with stuff like that, um, it's just, oh, it's like, what are we talking about? I, I think even more so, too, like, okay, with the D, like, I don't know how many other quarterbacks would have probably sat back there after four games and exact, like, what was almost 40 times, like, almost 10 times a game practically. It would have been like, okay, I'll still stand in here. So the defense, while they were certainly helpful, um, I think Burrow still played a large part. The defense played a large part. There's a lot of people who did a lot of work. Last time I checked, football is a team sport. Um, but to say the defense was the sole and biggest reason why, I would tend to disagree. So I would say myth. Yeah, I mean, on this one, I totally agree with you. I mean, the defense contributed to it, but people forget that in the first half of the Chiefs game, they were getting absolutely torched. Yes. Like, I mean, I mean, they turned it around and played really well in the second half. But it but was they getting were an absolute, scorched earth. They were getting scorched. If it weren't for Patrick Mahomes being really stupid and throwing it, yeah, it going for it on that three, fourth thing. to 10. I mean, that game would have been over. Yeah. Had they, I mean, they just got lucky that, that Patrick Mahomes just – no, I mean, they, really they, bad. No, I mean, I they did a good, the defense did a good job of tightening up it. But yeah, there was a terrible clock management decision. Uh, they should have just kicked the field goal if you're Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I think that's a great point. I, since, I mean, if they've scored that touchdown, yeah, it was 20. They're getting tracked. Me. People were turning off the TV around on Twitter. I read that. People were like, let this game's over. It's 21 3. Yeah. It's done. So, I mean, people seem to forget that the Bengals, to me, the biggest thing about the Bengals last year is. I, w- I wouldn't call them a team of destiny, but they got really lucky with some really strange coaching decision at, at the end of the game. But overall, they were just a good overall team. I don't feel like the defense stepped up when it needed to. The offense made plays when it needed to. Evan McPherson obviously made all of his kicks, but the mm-hmm. offense had to put him in position for them to make those kicks. Yeah, so I mean, like- I think if you're... Like, truth be told, if you look at any championship team, there's an element of luck involved in anyone's run. Yeah. No one has had a single seamless run where things didn't go their way. If I wanted to flip the coin on it, we literally just talked about it. The Rams, you can make an argument, got incredibly lucky that Jaquiski Tart could not catch a ball. We literally just talked about him. Yeah. I mean, the endless amounts of, oh, this was luck, this was that. Or, like, the idea that everything went perfectly – Okay, how can everything go perfectly when your quarterback gets sacked 12 times in a game? How can everything go perfectly when he gets sacked 10 times in the Super Bowl? Is it really all going that well? Is it really that much luck? Yes, of course, there's things involved that certainly went their way, as Ethan mentioned. But no, I, I would say, it's, again, it's a myth that the defense just carried this team all the way through. That's, that's silly. Completely agree. All right, our next one. Are the Baltimore Ravens going to win the AFC North this year? See, like, this one's tough. This one's tough. Because if the Baltimore Ravens go out there and win the AFC North, I don't think I would sit here and be shocked. I don't think the general public should be sit there and be that shocked. Um, the odds of them right now by Vegas are just, like, basically exactly the same. I think some sport books do have them as the same odds. Um, I think the Bengals personally will go out there and win it. Um, my concern with the Ravens more so than anything else is I still don't know who Lamar Jackson's throwing the football to outside of Mark Andrews. Isaiah um, Likely. Congratulations, Isaiah Likely. He can throw it to a two-tight end set. Wow, that will really stretch up the middle. But Rashad Bateman's a question mark. I really like the Ravens' defense. Um, 
I'll say a myth, though. I, I really believe the Cincinnati Bengals, I think, this offseason, I know a lot of other teams did a lot of really great things, like the Chargers themselves. They spent the big money. They went out guys, guys like Max, J.C. Jackson. Um, I know that people were obsessed with the Ravens draft. But I think when you look at the Bengals, their biggest weakness this offseason, they certainly addressed by starting three guys who had made either Pro Bowls, all pro teams, and have been certified starters for a good amount of time here. There's no more Ahim Adeniji who's going to be lining up in the Super Bowl. There is not going to be, I think, what was the other side? Isaiah Prince coming in and playing on your left tackle side during the game. That won't be there anymore. I'm still very confident the Bengals will win the division. Oh, I think it'd be very close. Absolutely. But uh, I would say myth is tough. I'm going to say, but yeah, it's a myth. This is going to be a really close divisional race between those two teams. But yes, I'm very confident the Bengals are going to be able to win this division, but it's going to be a dog fight to the very end. Baltimore is a very good team. All right. Our last one is Zach Taylor, a bad play caller. Is Zach Taylor a bad play caller? I would say that's a myth, and here's why. I think Zach Taylor has learned and has become a better coach over the last couple of years. Were there serious concerns after, what was it, 2019, his final year with Dalton? Yeah, I mean, there's flashes of good and bad. Um, 2020, a tough year when you don't have your quarterback. Uh, there were certainly questionable moments of which um, they had throughout the 2021 season. But I think he finally started to learn that ultimately, if you want to win, if you're the Bengals, you just have to let Joe Burrow take over. And I think towards the end of the season and towards the playoffs, he just learned that. And I think that's sort of become more of a thing. Um, I'm not – I really like Zach Taylor. I think he's one of the better coaches in the league, certainly. I still think he has room for growth. I actually think his play calling in the Super Bowl was pretty dang good. Um, I was pretty happy with that. I, again, I don't think – I think what a lot of people have to realize too with what Zach Taylor was working with in terms of the offensive line, they're operating at a shotgun so many different times because Joe Burrow can't turn his back to the offensive line. They can't run play action because Joe Burrow can't turn his back to the offensive line or else he'll die. So do I think Zach Taylor is a bad play caller? No. Do I think Zach Taylor has room for improvement as a play caller? Certainly. Am I happy that we have Zach Taylor as a head coach? Yes. So I would say that he's a bad play caller myth. If he was a bad play caller, I don't think they would have made it to the Super Bowl. I don't think the offense would have put up numbers as they did sometimes. Inconsistent, sure, but not bad. Well, I, this is me, and sometimes I even fall into this. I feel like the biggest overreaction is that third down run call. To Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, in the Super Bowl, that's like, I guess you could point to as like a really bad play call. But to me, it's not the play call that was bad. It was not having Joe Mixon on the field. Was the yeah, issue. I think the personnel group was just a different thing. I mean, but again, though, if I know the rant, I, I don't even know. It probably, maybe it changes if you have Mixon in there. But ultimately, the reality for me is, is that you had Aaron Donald was going to blow up any play that you really had trying to run up the middle. Um, but I, I don't sit back and say, oh, that cost us the game. I mean, it's a culmination of things. But, yeah, I see your point on that. I would say it's more of a personnel decision than I had a problem with the play call. So I have a, On that note, I do have a question for you because it's something yes. I it's, – it's not really a hot take for me, but I think it's something I'd be ready to say. Do you think Aaron Donald's going to enter into the best defensive player like debate of all time? Like, Do you think he's going to reach that Lawrence Taylor – like I think El I think Lawrence Taylor is a really hard guy to jump. I yeah. think it's a really hard guy to jump. Um, I think Aaron Donald will certainly enter the realm of the conversation. Um, I think he would have a more compelling argument as 
maybe not the best, but the most dominant. I think when Aaron Donald, people will look back and say in his prime, which is now stretched a good amount of time. It wasn't just like a three-year burst here, um, which I feel like sometimes, you know, people like J.J. Watt was a guy I feel like yeah. really, really good, but it was more of a short burst than anything else. But Donald, to me, I think certainly enters the question of most dominant pass rusher slash defensive player, if not player ever in NFL history. Um, but greatest all-time defensive player, I just think it's going to be tough to overtake Lawrence Taylor. I really do. No, I, I get you. He's just it's close. It's, he'll be in the conversation, though. He's going to be in the conversation. I mean, he's changed how teams look at defense now. No, I mean, for sure. tackle was considered a not very valuable position. Now you've seen Jordan Davis going in the top 15. No, exactly. I mean, I think he was a big part of it. I mean, I'll give a guy, if we're talking about the Bengals, shout out to a guy, Geno Atkins. Geno Atkins was doing it for a long time, 10 plus seasons of sacks from a defensive tackle point. But Donald was the exclamation point of the idea and the clearly more dominant player of anything else. So, yeah. All right. So let's get into our last thing. We're just going to go over some quick hit stories from this week. And where we're starting is. Tom Brady returned to practice today after his two weeks today. after his two weeks absent. So Clark, where was Tom Brady? I don't know. That's a great question. Uh, he tweeted something out today that he was wearing a mask. So did he have like COVID? Well, did you see the video of him like? On yeah, a it was the guy riding underwear? on his Brady boxers or whatever. It was his brand of boxers, I believe. Oh, it so wasn't him. Oh no, it wasn't Tom Brady. It was some dude wearing oh. his brand of boxers. I wish. It I was thought him. it. I thought it was him, and I was like, no. "There is no way Tampa was no, okay it wasn't with Tom him. Brady." I liked all the theories though that he was on the Mass Singer. I thought that was hilarious because, yeah. like, people were like, "Oh, he has a contract with Fox, who does Mass Singer, and maybe he was binded into doing something." But I think the most realistic option is either he had maybe he had COVID and didn't want to disclose it to the public, which is, I guess, you know, he can do whatever. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers thought that was okay, or a personal family matter. Maybe he's getting divorced by Giselle. That was another one, but then there was also a report today that he was in the he was in the Bahamas with Giselle and his kids for the last two weeks. It could have been a thing where she was like, "Hey, goddammit, it, we booked this vacation, and I know I said you could go back and play football, but you're spending time with your family. You haven't done it in twenty years, practically." Yeah, and from Tampa Bay's perspective, like, does he need does preseason? Matter? No, does it? He wasn't gonna play anyway. Like, I guess it's just the mental reps of playing with the team, but. It's basically the same team it's been the entire time he's there. Yeah, oh no, the greatest quarterback ever is not going to be a training camp for a week. I'm sure he'll be really, really bad now. Not. He's fine. <laughs> oh no, his chemistry with Julio Jones is going to be oh, all messed God. up. <laughs> you can't throw him balls in the free time if you wanted to. It's so stupid. So dumb. <laughs> He'll be fine. and He's going to be, be good. This isn't going to affect But the theories anyway. were the best part about it. Where's Tom Brady? Yeah, the Mass Singer one was part. really good. The Mass Singer one was great. That Whoever like thought about that one... Bravo. Hilarious. All right. So our next story. Uh, so I was at, I was at the Chargers game on Saturday and for the entire first half, none of the video boards worked. So sick. So <laughs> I, this is a $5 billion stadium where the oval video board was off until the middle of the third quarter. All of the video boards around the system didn't come on until like halftime or like the end of the first round or so or end of the first half or so. It was a really strange experience to be at, quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, I just, I mean, I get, I just don't understand what happens during a game day. I, I think no, it's I funny enough to me. And again, the best part of it was people making the jokes like, "Oh, well, the Chargers didn't pay rent. You know, they can't pay rent on the stadium." You know, everyone got their little laughs off and stuff. But 
just a bizarre technical thing to happen. I can't remember the last time where a video board went out during an NFL game. I mean, obviously the lights go out at the Super Bowl, but um, video board going out like that. And I guess, I mean, it didn't really matter. It didn't affect the game anywhere. It's a preseason game. I wonder if it was a regular season game if they would have stopped it to fix that problem. I think they probably would have. I mean, I'm kind of surprised they didn't as it was because, like, I mean, if you're sitting high up, like, they kind of that's your view. ruin the game for you. Yeah, that's how you probably watch the game when you do actually so, like, see the field. When I was watching the game with my dad, I was like, man, this feels like a high school game. Like, with no video boards on, you couldn't even keep track of, like, what time it was in the game, timeouts. Mm-hmm. The score wasn't even, like, up anywhere, so, like, we were mentally keeping score. Well, I think that's the thing. I think they probably would have if it was a regular season game had to stop it to fix it because you probably have, like, well, the official clock they have down there on their own, but there's too many technical things that would have probably been messed up. But because it's a preseason game, they're like, who cares? You know, NBC2 Los Angeles, and they can deal with this, or NBC6 Culver City will be okay. Well, so. it's also, I mean, the game take, for some reason, these preseason games, they have them on so late. I mean, it started at 7 yeah. Pacific time, which is 10 Eastern time. And exactly. if we were playing Dallas, which is in a different time zone, so I doubt they really could have delayed it just because of how late it would have started in Dallas. I actually think for the preseason, they should start doing things to reduce travel. It's just you play, like, opposing teams, not in your division, but, like, your closest secular division. Like, the AFC North plays just NFC North teams. Or yeah, the no. AFC. They'll be like, that way anyone who wants to watch those games, it's the same time zone that you would be on. You don't have to worry about it being super late. And truth be told, you're not getting a lot of national markets. No, so I mean, go, like – executives. Like, the Chargers are traveling to New Orleans this week. Like, what a waste guess dumb. of time. Who cares? Like, what a waste of time. Especially for the third preseason game where no backups are even going to play. Yeah, I'm trying. No has anyone gone coast-to-coast for a game? Like, has anyone had, like, a really long one I'm trying to think of? I don't Baltimore know. Baltimore went to Arizona. Yes. That's stupid. That's really dumb. Speaking of the Ravens, they just won their 22nd preseason game in a row. Where does that rank among the greatest winning streaks of all time? I don't Does know. Does that mean anything to you? Are you impressed by that at all? I mean, I guess it's impressive from a coaching perspective that John Harbaugh is able to get these scrubs to win so many games. I mean, that's like three or five years of winning every single preseason game, basically. Yeah, Which I'll give him credit. It was cool. It's cool. So It's cool. I mean, it's a really weird fact. It's going to be on every trivia sports thing of all time of who holds the longest preseason winning streak. I know, it's so obscure. The fact, though, that like, I didn't realize there was a team that had won 21 straight, and there was someone who had to have won 21 straight. Who the heck was that team? Yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I that I had not even thought about it, but at least they didn't do some, like, stupid thing, like, you know, they did to get their continue their 100 game of rushing yards or whatever it was, and they ran that bull crap play against Denver. You remember that? Oh, I didn't mind that. I thought Vic Vangio was. Bad. I thought that was kind of stupid because the players weren't set and closed. I thought it was a player safety issue more than anything, but I get it. I mean, if we want to talk about a player safety issue, I mean, it, it's not a dirty play. What happened to Chibito last night in the Bengals game? But they need to get rid of that kind of block. They need to get rid of the block. It was, a, I mean, by the rule, he can do that, he but he shouldn't that, be able to do that. It was just a straight knee. It was just a straight. I mean, shoulder. but it's a chop block. You can chop block like that. You I can't... know, but. I... I can't believe they still allow that because they no, don't I, allow they don't allow pancake or there's some kind of block they don't allow anymore that you used to be able to do. Maybe it is, I think well it's crackback blocks you can't do. Yes, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's crackbacks they can't do. I'm surprised they allow that now. No, I mean, exactly. It looks so gross as that guy just like 
No, that was Thaddeus Moss. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just absolutely just cracked Thibodeau's knee. Yeah, I mean, I was like, okay, I, I think it was a little bit ridiculous. People were like, oh, suspension for like him and stuff. I'm like, well, no, is that on him or that on him or the coaching staff? I mean, he's probably like guys are getting taught to do that. They don't just no develop that out of nowhere. He was just trying to go for it. Bad play. It was not a good. I mean, I wish he would not have done it. I'm glad Thibodeau's okay. That would have been a shame if he wasn't, but. Yeah, it's just a block they should eliminate and more enforce some sort of penalty on because going low on guys like that, especially like I feel like it happens a lot to offensive linemen when DBs try to block them down so they fall over in like a screen pass. Just no need for, for that. Sure. No need for no diving need. low anytime. Well, let's talk about our last story of the week, which is one of the – I don't know if it's the biggest, but happened on what? Netflix. There's yeah. a new Manti Teo documentary that came out. Great documentary. Uh, Great documentary. Highly recommend it to anyone watching. It's absolutely fascinating and absolutely mm-hmm. incredibly sad for Manti Teo. Yes. I Maybe think... one of, I mean, during that season, he was like the man across like all sports. Like he was transcending college football at that time. I totally, I think if you, I think for me, it clearly, I think at the time you knew it too. It, it cost him a first round billing for sure. He fell out, right? It's like the second yeah, round. He, he fell out to early second where the Chargers. So, I mean, not the him. biggest fall, but I think certainly if that didn't happen, he's a first round guy. But I think the biggest takeaway from it, you know, is that um, I think the ending thing with Manti Teo is actually powerful, maybe not the right words, but man, he has worn that collar for a long time. And he could be angry with a lot of people, like really mad. And he could be, but he's decided not to. And I think that, you know, I think at some point watching Manti Teo, I was like, ah, this is a little bit of an act. But it's clearly nice. not. He seems like a really a stand-up, really nice guy. And I think it makes the story even sadder that something happens to someone like him. And I mean, you can all point fingers and laugh, which everyone's done. But I mean... The, the ploy of it was elaborate. I mean, it was tough. He was a young kid, and this was a lot going on. I, I just feel it makes me feel even worse for him for everything unraveled on him. For sure. I mean, I feel I feel awful for him. No, I mean, it's just one of those. That'll always go down as one of the most interesting and bizarre sports stories to ever come out. Just wild. I wanted to ask you a question, something about the documentary. Do you think... How did you take Deadspin saying that the reason they released the story is because they wanted to like point out that ESPN and all these people didn't do their research? Do you like buy that, or do you think they knew that they were just kind of gonna ruin? Look, I think there was probably to a certain extent. I forget the exact writer's name who they did talk about because that was a big part of the conversation that he was having that he couldn't believe. And to his point, very fair that there were so many conflicting reports from so many major news outlets about basic things like who died first his fake girlfriend or the grandmother and you know how no one was back checking on this and how no one had actually seen her and all these very glaring holes in the story that it seems so many publications ignored but i i don't buy that they were doing it to expose espn and these other things i think that was certainly a part i think it was more by deadspin than anything else to maybe go after Manti and make this a story kind of thing of their own. Like, oh, we figured it out. This is all a hoax. Oh, this is one of the biggest college play- like players prolifically at the time in sports. So I think there was certainly an edge of it that they did want to stick it to those companies that are big broadcasting for sports, but a little bit of a motive otherwise, I think, too. I also want to ask, what did you think of her trying to get sympathy for what she did? Did you buy any of that or – 
Because for me, like, I didn't buy any. I, I actually thought it. I thought she should have just apologized and moved on and stopped trying to get some. Because what she did is absolutely horrible, in my opinion. I mean, I think um, it's tough. But I, I, in some ways, I think she is remorseful, certainly. Um, but I, I wish there would have been more accountability to an extent. I, I think Manti Teo still has a good life, I'm sure. He's made yeah. a lot of money in the NFL. Um, he had a career which a lot of guys beg after and sought after, and he's very recognizable still. But I, I do sometimes think, well, watching the documentary, it seems like at times, you know, she could have been a little bit more remorseful about the situation that was created. But who am I to say? I don't know. They could have edited things differently. They could have, you know, I don't know. But it very sad story, nonetheless, for both people, for, for her, from her whole story itself, too. You do have, I do feel bad for her if she was truthfully that lost in her own self. But yeah, I mean, it was a torpedoing of a guy's career, a guy's life, basically over, not, I don't want to say silly, but just, you know, it could have been, it could have all been very easily avoided. Yeah, it could have been easily avoided. And I think that's the issue here is, I mean, it's just so sad, especially because when you put it into perspective, especially when Manti Teo talked about the anxiety that he had when he went out. Oh, yeah. Football field oh, yeah. The like she basically cost him his love of football. Like it was basically like he didn't like it anymore. Like he was yeah. still doing it because he knew he had to, but like he just didn't seem to like it anymore. No, it, was it seemed like way it was too much love pressure. Certainly lost. Which is really uh, sad that she took that away from him. Yeah, unfortunate situation. But a great documentary again, folks. If you ever had the opportunity to check it out, it's on Netflix. Two parter. I believe each part's like an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. Does a good job overviewing and everything because. I didn't even realize now it happened over 10 years ago. And this is a story that's 10 years old, practically. I know. It, it, it's old because, I mean, we went through Manti Teo's entire Chargers career. Yep. And that was it. I never really but, remember. How was he for the Chargers? He was okay. I went and yeah. looked it up afterwards because I remembered him on the Chargers. He played opposite Donald Butler, if you remember Donald Butler. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Denzel Perriman. Um, he just got injured all the time. Yeah, that's he, what I kind of remember, too. He had season-ending injuries all four years on his rookie contract. That's tough. It's tough. Um, do you have any last things to say before we head off? I don't think I have any last thoughts for this episode, though. Not, not at the top of my head. All right. Well, thank you to Manscaped. Make sure to use our promo code for 20% off, and that's backseat for 20% off and free shipping. Make sure to use our Manscaped code, or not our, man, our seat geek <laughs> code, for from the backseat for $20 off your first order. You can use both of those codes and get some discounts. Go ahead and use those. Uh, make sure you're following us on TikTok, on Instagram, and Twitter. Clark and I are starting to beef up those other social media platforms. Uh, some of our reels have gotten a little big of just videos we use from TikTok. Again, if you're finding us on Instagram, go watch us on TikTok. We post those videos first. You can see them easier. Basically, Instagram is like the greatest hits. We see what does well on TikTok, and then we post it over there. Mm -hmm. So if you want to see all of the content, go over to TikTok. Uh, and make sure to leave a rating on this podcast. Leave a five-star review. Remember, if you leave a five-star review and a comment, we will shout you out at the end of the next episode. And stay tuned to our TikTok slash other social medias. Clark and I are going to have a giveaway coming up. So make sure you're a part of that. Keep Make sure you put on notifications so you know when we're doing that. That'll be in the future. But thank you to everyone. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, guys.